0: Hi, this is Cliff for the Picture-Poems.com website In the Circle and the Square. The Four Runaways. I wanted to do a little dialogue tape today. I'm up here on Bear Paw Ridge um, at about 1,600 meters. And it's the end of February and one of those timeless... Uh, granite-gray, snow-white days. I'm on snowshoes now after a week of excellent sugar maple snow with cold nights and warm days. And now we're back to uh, warmer days. So I'm on snowshoes again. I'm sitting right here on about a, a meter and a half of snow. And there's not a breath of wind but there's not much sun either so it makes everything almost timeless there's so little movement but there are signs of spring lower down to the north of here where i have a little base camp the, the steller's j i don't know if you've ever heard them um, I think it's uh, alone. I think it's lost its mate. I'm not positive. But they're much like the blue jays back east in North America, in that family. And they're maestros at imitating sounds. So it uh, gave me uh, a jolt early in the morning, about a quarter to six in the morning with the warning cry of either a red-tailed hawk or an eagle. They're very similar. And only about a meter, two, three away from my uh, tent. So it did it very deliberately. It knows certainly who I am and keeps track of things. They work as duos using the warning calls of different uh, predator birds to get the songbirds so anxious that they'll leave their nest and it's a very stealthy procedure while the other one sneaks in and will steal an egg but they are maestros at uh, imitation. If you don't know it uh, then you'll uh, for sure think that it's a warning call and that's one of the things in our natural history that evidently is so deep It's a a knee-jerk reaction that you respond to it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like if you have a shadow flying overhead, especially on snow because the contrast is stronger, you have a knee-jerk reaction too from the days thousands and thousands of years ago when there might have been predators threatening human beings from the sky. It's interesting to watch those they're still there in our natural historical background well another thing i saw today is that the uh, the golden eagles have uh, just uh, today established or reestablished, i should say because they're coming back for the second year to a new nesting spot at the top of a very tall, probably about 30 meters or so, old growth ponderosa. All of a sudden, I'm not sure if it was the male or the female, they were circling right above. They leave no doubt about who is uh, the master of the terrain. They'll circle above head and do any number of warning calls. But that just started today. That's one of those wonderful things of uh, natural rhythm to see how alpine spring, even though you're still in the dead of winter with this much snow, but it's a subtle difference. That spring is coming on and the great snow melt uh, begins. Well, I wanted to talk about a quartet of very different things, not the sicklier movement, uh, but runaway of exponential expansions. In dialogue, I think you can say that we're all natural historians in a way. What's wonderful about classic old-time natural history is that uh, one simply um, observes the natural world around oneself and explores it. It's like asking a question asking a question. I'm surrounded here by uh, younger ponderosa pines. It's hard to tell exactly uh, how old they are because this this is a southwest facing steep slope. It's open on both sides, to the west and to the east, so it's a ridge that goes steeply down into a draw. And it's on lithosol or rocky soil that holds very, very little water. Especially in the summer, it would be not unusual in Northeast Oregon and the Wallowas to have temperatures above 30 degrees C up here. And on the ground surface, for students of Alpine climate change, much, much more than that. So it's a hard place to get started as any kind of plant. There are buckwheats up here, and you wouldn't know it, but I'm almost probably sitting on a colony of uh, balsam uh, balsam root with the wonderful yellow bright sunflowers in the edible roots. They form whole patches. I'm just about sitting on them. So they're resting underneath the snow, we suppose. But these ponderosa, well... That's a beautiful image of the circular economy because they create the, uh, they're glistening, because they create the preconditions for their own flourishing. They actually generate the self. They're starting out, the, they can uh, uh, sprout and set root if they're lucky, in almost bare mineral soil. And I was saying up here, it's a very dark, reddish-brown, beautiful, ochre, um, volcanic soil. The Walaus are tremendously rich in their geologic complexity. But here we have volcanic residue. So they sprout and they have to generate the conditions of their own flourishing by creating their own soil. Isn't that beautiful? But it's, of course, a very gradual process of building the soil, harvesting the carbon from the air, the CO2. It's a half of that trunk I'm looking at. It's about 35 centimeters wide. In Holland, this would be a big pine, but here it's just a beginner. Right behind me there are trees three or four times that stature and probably aged two, three, four hundred years old. But as the needles fall and little chips of bark fall, it begins a whole community in the soil, enriching the soil. Well, any economy, you could say, that is to use that overused word sustainable should properly, don't you think, create the preconditions of its own flourishing. Is there a trace of destructiveness in the... But no. <laughs> in our ponderosa pine, it, is, um, it does not have a single thread of violence or exploitive nature taking resources away in an irreversible way from others who need them like i like to say the uh, the economy of nature is based primarily on mutual benefit so let's start again the four runaways so as in dialogue, we're natural historians, just like we're looking at this beautiful Ponderosa here on this steep slope. It's about 90% pure white, frozen snow surface, and there are just these trees about every five, ten meters, in a small, two or three trees clustered together in little islands. It's just a very beautiful, landscape. It's beautiful skiing too. You can ski through at high speed just like a natural slalom for fun to see how fast you can go on this beautiful corn or what I call silver maple snow. It's some of my favorite skiing. The circular economy, naturalist. Well, what we're looking at it seems to me, is movement. So even this tree that I'm looking at is not primary. But what's primary is the formative, generative, deeper movement. As naturalists, I think that's what we properly give our attention to. And what's moving is a web of relationships. A web of relationships. Of course, the scientists, this is science too, so it's all of these things together that they come in, in my view, and far too quickly try to quantitatively describe relationships. I always think the qualitative, the relative relationships are primary. And you'll find the equation soon enough. But they're always going to be just approximations. What's much more important in my view is to actually, like the Japanese say, if you want to know the mountain, go to the mountain. If you want to know the pine, go to the pine. Well, notice there there aren't any scientists out here now uh, studying the forest. I've never once have seen, in the years I've been working in the winter in the Wallaus, never once have I seen forest service, BLM, anyone out here doing anything in the winter. Whereas you can do much work that you can't do otherwise. Now is much easier access if you have good snow. Heaven forbid that they would take my suggestion and use, I'm talking about on snowshoe and ski, that you move slow enough to tune into tree time, into ponderosa pine time. So movement, a movement of relationship. both qualitative and quantitative, well, mutual benefit is a quality of relationship and flowing movement. And that's the primary limit that generates order in the natural world. And to get back to our main theme, the four runaways... That's, a runaway is a cyclical movement that has somehow broken itself apart, that has been fragmented from the natural generative ground. This is a little bit difficult. That has fragmented itself and broken itself away from the primary generative ground and has lost its web of resonating, mutual benefit and limit, especially limit. What we don't want to confuse confuse in dialogue as naturalist observing movement is the difference between machines and nature. We're doing it in the computer age all the time. So I want to suggest there's a profound difference between natural movement and mechanical movement. You see, if you're working with a snow machine or chainsaw, they're basically the same. A snow machine is a chainsaw on top of the snow. You're in control, let's hope so, of that uh, machine. It has external inputs there's absolutely no idea of sustainability. It's completely contingent on those external inputs that you keep on pumping into the motor. But you, there is a controller in the controlled. But with nature, you can impose that view. That, that's part of the secular, Christian, or any of the organized religion uh, point of view. When there's division, there's no controller in controlled. There's just this flowing movement. And yet, even without control, or you shouldn't say even, because of the fact there's no control, there's this marvelous order and harmony without idealizing things at all. It's a very austere life up here. It's cold. There's no diversion but it's spiritually, I would like to suggest, extraordinarily pure and uplifting. So a movement that has broken out of this natural limit, the, a runaway with a machine is like uh, uh, the governor on a motor, the carburetor, that no longer functions. So the engine screams into a wild runaway and will eventually uh, blow up or a thermostat that goes out or the, that's a, those governors or limiters like that are the way that we imitate with machines cyclical movements in nature but what are the limiting factors that keep this ponderosa a ponderosa Well, there's the whole unseen world of the mycorrhiza and the fungi and whatnot that are the soil builders, that are helping all the insect critters, that are de- helping decompose all the needles that slowly fall to the ground, to build that soil. And of course, one of the primary limitations is temperature, light, and heat, and water. Right here where we sit, probably I would guess water is the main limiting factor. Because it can be very hot and dry here. So it has to be able to set roots deep enough to tap in to deep water. So we have the machine, where you have the controller and the controlled. And what we're primarily interested in is natural movement and especially interested in seeing the difference between them. That's why, for example, as I've written elsewhere, I'm very much question the wisdom of using words like exponential growth. It's not growth, it's uh, expansion. Growth naturally does not work that way. Exponential runaways are in nature always in my view, the exception. It's a sign of the balance of mutual benefit and limit, like where I'm sitting right now is very stable. These trees were here the last time I was here, and they'll be here the next time we come, we hope and pray and they'll be here for generations of people time. It's very stable. So it's a kind of mutual benefit and limit that's very harmonious and benefits all of the life that surrounds it, that generates the conditions of its own flourishing. So we have the machine, and nature, looking at movement, and knowing the difference between them. when there is a disturbance, say right down where I'm camped, there's, uh, because of overgrazing, there's uh, any number of invasive species, most of which, just by chance, I know well from the Alps. So it's like running into an old friend in Las Vegas that you see from Europe that's gone into a total uh, wacko runaway (laughs) with drinking in excess and women (laughs) surrounded by women of every uh, type and description. And so what happened to you? (laughs) One that I think of instantly is sulfur sink foil Potentile rechte. And that's not grazed by the cattle uh, that uh, move freely about there. It borders on BLM land, forest service land. And there are far too many cattle there. So that it's negatively selected. So that it's not grazed and it just keeps on expanding its territory. It's in uh, perennial. So it is kind of like a slow-motion runaway. The natural limits to its growth. In an alpine meadow in, for example, Switzerland, there would only be a few of them. They're a sign of a meadow that hasn't been fertilized with artificial nitrogen. They have a really pretty kind of lemon yellow flower in the characteristic palmate composite compound leaf. And the rest comes from the uh, rigid, straight stem. It's about uh, 25, 30 centimeters tall. Well, there's a whole stand of them down there. And it's about the only thing that grows other than a few um, wild uh, strawberries. They've completely taken over. And they're fun to watch because the limits which are there in the Alps, they're not here, so they just go into a runaway. Well, that, I'm saying, is a transitional state. Mother Nature, somehow, miraculously, without any trace of control, but because of mutual benefit or the lack thereof, will sort it out. And it might take years, it might take centuries, but eventually a new harmony and balance will establish itself. And that's when the mutual benefit web comes into some sort of uh, stability. Well, that's rather the exception than the rule. It's a transitional state. So the four runaways that are so destructive in human culture that I wanted to briefly describe and dialogue about. I'll just throw them out into the talking circle now, Our runaway money, runaway economy, runaway military, and runaway empire. So we have money, the capitalist economy, military, empire. And what I'm suggesting is that this quartet of runaways uh, fit together. It's a kind of era harmony. It's a kind of very vicious, violent, uh, self-destructive, false harmony. It's harmony in the sense that they do mutually benefit from each other, but take down everything. Instead of like this pine that generates the conditions of its own flourishing, it's exactly the opposite that it destroys everything around it. It's like a, a a runaway black hole that takes all the good energy around it and just destroys it. Human beings included, especially the young. And just one of those runaways would be enough to destroy all of nature, including ourselves. But four of them together, good golly, So first, we have money as debt. And I've spoken about that before, so I'll just be very brief. It's just the old uh, fact that's already 2,400 years ago, but I'm sure much more before that, that if you allow people to make money through lending money by charging interest, Um, you're on a very dangerous path. It's what Aristotle, Is one of my favorite phrases, money parenting money. And the idea that he talked about, which I think is to this day true, is that money knows no limit. It knows no natural, more is better. So there you have it. That's how I wanted to start out but I got in to this uh, Ponderosa Pine enchantment thing. There's a beautiful saying by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's just four steps, four syllables. It's easy to remember. Much will have more. Well that's the essence of a runaway. It's like this grinding machine that's just more and more and if it's running on energy that is not sustainable it will just cut down everything in sight you don't want to talk like that around a forest filled with beautiful trees do you it will just raise everything to the ground to sustain itself well this much will have more is the very essence of runaway so any economy that is going to allow compound interest, its days are inherently numbered because it's generating wealth out of nothing. And what is more, this isn't Aristotle, is that money always moves in the wrong direction and it goes from the people who have nothing, from the poorest, to the people with the most money inherently until you get a situation that's so extraordinarily out of balance. What was it now? 62 of the world's billionaires own as much wealth as half of the world's population. Even if those numbers were off by orders of magnitude. But you can see it around you. Anybody who does creative work in the past 20 years, I've seen it happen right in front of me, that does in the arts every year, it's less and less and less and less and less. So all of that wealth is going somewhere to where it's exactly not needed. So it's contra naturam. It's going totally against the grain of the natural watercourse way the Tao of nature. And of course, out here that never happens. There are no exceptions. People, people, human beings are the only exception to that. So we have the runaway of money, That's what it should be called, is runaway money. And it's very destructive. And then you have a runaway economy, that again is what it should be called. That's capitalism by its very nature. Any economy that's going to be, uh, I don't want to use that S word, sustainable, any economy that is going to, there it is, truth and function that we've talked about before, that is going to have truth and function, To be in accord with the Tao and the watercourse way cannot allow for compound interest, and must have a new idea of freedom, that freedom always has to do with limit. Otherwise you have the rule of the most brutish and the most powerful. So it's freedom to and freedom from go necessarily together. Like the two great wings of that younger golden eagle I just saw about two hours ago. With a wingspan of about a meter and a half. Soaring effortlessly above. And didn't miss a beat when I move through. (laughs) So there we have our runaway economy. Now, why is it runaway? Because it depends. The only way the economy of debt works is that you have to generate more and more and more of it. And you need more and more resources to grind up into that vicious cycle in order to sustain that outward expansion. Now in order to do that, just look at the idea of land. How much land does it take to have a good life? I would like to see a homesteading act come back for that concept of new energy farming I've talked about. How much land? Only about two hectares is more than enough to be totally independent and self-sustaining. I'm sitting right above a classic 160-acre homestead of more than 120-some years ago. But the runaway economy of capitalism has nothing to do with that. So it must, all the land in North America has been used up, right? And so it must constantly expand well, there's only one planet. And of course, what it's after more than anything is that fuel to keep the great machine going. So the violence in the world, like when I look at those snow machines, there was a cluster of them yesterday that took my breath away. They didn't see me, but they, were, they must have roared past it at least 120K. This is a racetrack out here in the weekend. It was just a cluster that got uh, probably about 12 of them, like wild dogs. I don't you want know, to. I, I don't have the words for it. but it is from a metaphysics totally without ethics. Get the hell out of the way. Totally in disregard of their own actions. So it is the end stage of the world of the totally self-centered me. Who are you to say, get the hell out of the way? That's that energy running on fossil fuel powered testosterone. It's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. It's the very essence of the culture of force and violence. So when they run out, they could give a damn where that gas comes from. Just keep the damn machines going. Now that's why that runaway economy, that predatory capitalism, must go together with runaway militarism. Because the only way to sustain the unsustainable contradiction is to take from others. Full stop. And that's what in North America we don't want to see. This whole thing of a lifestyle powered and average with 120, what are called energy servants, or perhaps more appropriately slaves, powered by fossil fuel. 120 times the basic metabolism of one natural human being, you must, if you start to reflect on it philosophically, well, it's obviously, that's why that leads to a runaway military So what does a runaway military look like? Well, you don't have to go very far. Just 220 kilometers, I'll point to it here. Northwest of here is the Hanford contamination site. It's the largest in the Western Hemisphere. No one, that's a fire which cannot be put out, not just for millennia, but for millions of years, that produced the plutonium for 60,000 bombs before it was shut down in 1989. I had nothing to do with that. You most likely had nothing to do with it, my dear listener. But somebody did. It had nothing to do with stopping Hitler and the fascists. It had everything to do about thinking through the maintaining of the power of empire after World War II. Totally top secret, totally anti-democratic. That's why science has so much blood on its hands. It's a science utterly devoid of ethics. But that's only 220 kilometers. There's enough plutonium for 60,000 bombs. And they only used one, the one they dropped on Nagasaki. What was it? It was less than 10 kilos of plutonium. It's the deadliest substance on the planet. And how will that, in my view, it will never be cleaned up? Well, perhaps you shouldn't say that. But runaway military, I mean, uh, you can uh, approach it from any weapon system you want. But uh, uh, ethically, from the point of view of ahimsa and nonviolence, it's a very simple position that militaries are the primary cause of war. And like the great Dr. King said, we either put an end to war or war will put an end to us. And that's what Hanford is an unambiguous monument to. The folly that thinks we can find some sort of security behind a weapon of any kind. So this runaway military, what does it empower? Well, it empowers empire, right? without the empire, the rule of force, that simply marches in and takes over the resources that it needs. Well, it can't stop, right? That's why it's a runaway, why it's outside of the circular economy of the watercourse, why That's why it's a blaring, glaring contradiction. That's why it has zero truth in function. And that's why it will most assuredly self-destruct. But the whole point of nonviolence is to stop the self-destruction before it takes down the whole of creatura. So, as naturalists in the talking circle of dialogue, we're looking at movement. Now, what is the ground of the insanity of this quartet? What is the ground? We can listen to the news, even of the most progressive thinkers. Say, take someone like the great Noam Chomsky who has this remarkable memory of every detail and transgression of especially North American empire and the great violence that it's caused over the past 200 years. But does that analysis reach the generative ground of the much we'll have? Why? Why are we that way? And if we don't see the why, what does it change to be knowledgeable about what has actually happened and is happening? If you don't see the source, like the good doctor will see the source of some sort of disease caused by, say, water contamination. You have to get to the ground, the source, the cause. Well, as naturalists, we're looking and always going back to the formative movement of thought itself, to the divisive, destructive nature of thought, which generates this illusion of the fragmented, isolated me, whether the me sitting right here in the snow or the me collectively as a whole culture, seeking security and isolation, a culture based on fear, and the desire for more and more. And then we come back to Emerson, the much will have more. Well, if we go into that, he was talking about greed, right? We all know that, but greed and desire by their very nature is a mechanical movement that have nothing to do with the object. It's just once you fulfill a desire, the next one comes up. And the incredible ugliness inherent in numerical systems of measure like money, when that becomes a measure of wealth, is that there's no end to it. The much will have more this runaway is a sure sign in culture that something has gone awry. And if we start to look at it deeper, it will have its source in thought and thinking itself. So what happens when you see that as a kind of meditation that's ongoing, that never stops, like David Bohm called proprioception, that you become aware of thought in the actual thinking. There's a very subtle form of awareness and just like a naturalist looking at this pine, this great ponderosa before us here, you're just observing. You're not trying to change anything not judging good or bad. It's an observation and non-attachment. They're simply looking taking place. Well, when one starts to look deeper than the normal political analysis, then one begins to see this mechanism of thought itself, which is creating a kind of illusion, a kind of prison. And the awareness is the beginning of inner freedom. It seems to me that the great potential in meaning and beauty of dialogue, when it's done in a sustained and serious way, as a way of life, really, is that you do this together, And it's liberating, not in the future, but from the very first step. Because the empire, the runaway military, the runaway economy, the runaway money, and all of that corruption, you see, good God, they come from one source. And if you see that source, you stop the corruption instantly. You might fall back into it, but once you see it, it doesn't touch you. It could easily take you down as a physical organism, but that does not touch the truth of the perception that this culture of force is inherently contradictory, full of conflict, full of waste, and morally utterly corrupt. And so you step back from it, and in the stepping back is a new path that leads into the unknown of something totally new. And in my view, nothing more needs to happen. Just that getting off that mechanical rut and changing direction into the unknown in finding balance and finding others who are inspired to do the work of dialogue the work of nonviolence well that's a whole different circle and it's basically what's happening here in this mountain forest Okay, well that's it for now. Signing off for the picture-poems.com website and the circle and the square. This is Cliff. Ciao for now.